All right, so like I said in the announcements, we've got a Connection Sunday coming up where we all you know, kind of bring our own lunches and hang out here at the church. Good time to get to know each other. It's an easy time to hang out. Uh, the church will provide a few snacks to have out here for those who might forget uh, to bring something or for any visitors who happen to come that day who, who don't come prepared bringing food. So we'll have some food here available for some stuff. Um, but oftentimes at our Connection uh, Sunday meal and other times, other gatherings here at the church, there will be a ton of food. A ton of food. It's one of my favorite things about this church. And sometimes while people are cleaning up after these events, a large tray or, or plate will get shoved into my hands at the end uh, with whatever leftovers. It'll have cookies or snacks, uh, whatever's left for me to bring home. Uh, now at these times, you will probably hear me say words that might sound like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> but inside, I'm like, give me all the things. <laughs> now, when it comes to people offering me free food, particularly of the snack or dessert variety, uh, I find it really hard to resist that temptation. Right? I know what's healthy for me. I just also know what tastes good. Amen. I like that. <laughs> That's why it's on the leadership team, folks. <laughs> now, the stakes are admittedly pretty low here, uh, right, the, with the desserts and stuff. But I bet we've all faced times where we've been tempted right, by more than just a large plate of cookies, right? Sometimes we're tempted to do something outright wrong. Sometimes we're tempted to not do something right. We're tempted every day with little things, big things, which is what makes today's part of the Lord's Prayer so important for us. We're in the middle of our series called Jesus' Donkey Kingdom Manifesto, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, as some call it, as most call it, probably. Probably most don't call it Donkey Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, and our shorter series within a series on the Lord's Prayer. And we're getting near the end of that prayer here. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is just a template prayer uh, that Jesus gave his followers. And here's what we've read and talked through so far, starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. <clears throat> this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now this week's bit. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I don't know if this ever happens to you, while you when you're reading the Bible, but I had some questions as I was reading through this. Uh, so we're going to take a look through, through some of those questions, talk about them for a little bit, and then we'll talk about what it means for us practically. So one question I had was, so is it deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one, right? Which, which one? What are we talking about here? Are we talking about a general evil thing? Or is Jesus talking about an actual being? Right, well, the original language isn't quite so cut and dry here, which is why you'll hear some versions of the prayer say evil and others say evil one. Uh, now, there's a contextual reason uh, for Matthew to think that there's, this is referring to an actual being, um, and that's the previous mention of temptation, in Matthew. Uh, so this is talking about temptation here. Last time it talks, the previous time talks about temptation. 
Matthew is telling the story, two chapters before this, of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And in that story, the temptation is definitely talked about as coming from a tempter. Right? A, a being who is even in dialogue with Jesus. So given that context, many seem to think that the best translation is the evil one. Others say that the tempter in that story of Jesus being tempted is simply a personification of a general temptation. So it could be understood that way. Ultimately, uh, this point is a little bit tangential uh, because regardless of what we think about the translation, the result is the same. Right? We, we get the idea. We want to be delivered from evil, whether, whether an evil being, the acts of an evil being, uh, or just evil in general, evil thoughts. Right? Whatever it is, we don't want it. We want to be delivered. So it's best not to get too bogged down in the specific translation here. If you hear someone who prefers to say evil, someone who prefers to say evil one, whatever. No big deal. Another question I had was, what does deliverance even look like here? Right? Meaning, does, does temptation mean that we won't encounter temptation at all? Right? That we'll be delivered from even being tempted? Because I know that hasn't been the case in my life. Or does it mean that when we do, we'll be able to resist it? Does it just mean deliverance from the effects of temptation or of giving in to it? Well, again, the original wording here, sometimes we can go back to the original wording and give us some clarity and stuff. But it can kind of mean a couple of things, right? It can mean both to spare us from and deliver us out of. So it can be referring to just about any of the above that I just talked about. As you journey with Christ, you will indeed be delivered from the temptations as you are tempted. right? So you'll be tempted and then you can be delivered from them. But as you grow in your likeness to Christ, you'll find that some of those temptations come less. right? I, I really struggled with anger for a long, long time. Uh, it's what <laughs> threw me into my journey in recovery. Right? There I discovered a lot more things that I needed to work on. <laughs> but over the years, as I've grown in that area, the temptations to completely fly off the handle do, in fact, come less frequently. But overall, we can be pretty certain that it's talking about successfully resisting temptation. So if temptation is going to come anyway, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, then we want to be delivered either from it or through it. So the next question I had was, <laughs> if we didn't pray this prayer, would God then himself lead us into temptation? Right? Like, would God tempt us toward anger with a loved one and then say, well, you didn't pray for me to not do that. Right? Right? Is God the one bringing us into these temptations? Right? So we've got to ask him not to do it. Well, the word that we've translated as temptation here can have a positive connotation or a negative, kind of depending on the context. It can mean a temptation on the negative side or a test or proving ground on the positive side. So, a quick example. Let's say you've been wanting to increase your vocabulary, right? You've been wanting to grow in your persuasiveness, so you start reading books, right? You look up words, you walk around with a thesaurus. Right? For those of you under 20, a thesaurus is a really large book filled with synonyms. Don't ask me to explain synonyms. 
So you walk around with one of those books. You join a Toastmasters club. For those of you under 20, a Toastmasters club is a group that you can join to help you learn about uh, public speaking and growing your uh, act of public speaking. So you can do those things. You can engage in debates or in, to increase your mastery of the English language. Now, if you do all of that, then every interaction with a person after that becomes either an opportunity, a proving ground, or a temptation. Right? Will you use your, your mastery of the English language to build them up, to educate, to encourage? Or will you tear them down, belittle them, or try to exert power over them, or manipulate someone? Both options are tests that prove what's in our heart. Right? But there are constructive and destructive ways to engage in those tests. So is God leading you into these tests, these, these proving grounds, these opportunities for growth or implosion? Maybe. Right? Bo both Andrea and I know that God led us to move to New York City when we were first married. Um, been married for like a month and then, yay, let's go to some place we've never lived before in a completely different context and a completely different lifestyle. And it was really hard. <laughs> Doing that, jumping in with both feet, uh, it brought a host of challenges to our marriage, our later family, and pretty much all our lives there. But all of these grew our faith. And they were tremendous blessings. But because we relied on him through those times, they became those opportunities for growth. Instead of landmines that blew us up everywhere. <laughs> but on the other hand, over the years, there have been plenty of other ways in which I was tempted and gave in, in ways that were destructive, that I brought upon myself. A helpful bit of biblical context that can help us as we think through this question comes from James chapter 1, starting in verse 13, which says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, in most cases, it's our own brokenness, our sinfulness that leads us into temptation, the negative side of testing. But if it's true that we can grow in these times of testing, it seems strange that we'd be praying to not be given these tests a little bit, right? But if we want to become like Jesus and grow, shouldn't we want these tests? And even Jesus prayed this way, though. Right? When he was tempted in Gethsemane, just prior to being crucified, he knew what was ahead of him on the cross. And he didn't want it. It's, it was scary. He knew what crucifixions were, what they were meant to do. They weren't just meant to kill. They were meant to make an example of, to torture. Bad way to go. So he prayed to God that another way could be found. But ultimately, in his prayer, he said he would do whatever God knew best. Knew was best. Jesus wanted to be delivered from what was coming, but he still stayed and walked through the trial, through the test, without letting it become destructive. 
Uh, here's one difference between a, a temptation from the evil one and an opportunity from God. And it's more than just semantics. Okay? When our adversary, the Satan, tempts us, it takes the form of a trap. Right? The, the, intention, the intention is to trap us into doing something destructive. But God can take even those moments and redeem them. Make something good come from a bad situation or provide a way out. Right? And that's the difference here. If an opportunity for growth comes from God, he always provides a way out. The way towards growth. Even those that don't come from God, he can provide a way out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, But when you are tempted, he, God, will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God doesn't send us problems or issues in order to take us out <laughs> or trap us. He is a loving God, which is why James tells us that when we encounter temptations, we shouldn't say that God sent them, but God always provides ways out. He is there with us and can guide us towards growth. Now, as I was studying uh, for this particular message, one of my sources put it this way said, whether a difficulty is merely circumstantial or deliberately sent, either by God to test us or by Satan to tempt us, is best evaluated in retrospect. Right? Meaning, for the mo in the moment, it's pretty much useless to try to figure out where the trial's coming from. Okay, don't even bother. Don't, don't burden yourself with that. It continues on. It says, in any case, the origins of the trial are irrelevant to the final outcome. For the Father never sends an impossible test, and demonic temptation need never prove irresistible. Right, essentially, the source of the test ultimately doesn't matter, because God always comes through. He always provides a way out. We don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble's going to come in life anyway. We don't, we're not doing ourselves any favors when we create situations where we're tempted because life will throw plenty of those situations at us anyway. And like we said before, these, these situations, difficulties, areas where you're tempted or, tr or, tr or tested, uh, these are opportunities to grow, to be more like Jesus. They're never fun or easy, but they can be opportunities. And this is where we get to the heart of these lines in this prayer. Because listen, no, no matter whether it's evil or the evil one, right? no matter what deliverance actually looks like, no matter if it's a positive test or negative temptation, what is this ultimately about? What are we actually praying for here? Now, I believe that ultimately what we're asking for here is to be made more and more like Jesus in how we live our lives practically. Holiness matters. Righteousness matters. Now, I'll be using the term holiness a bunch here, and it just means to be being set apart for God. As we grow more holy, we grow to be more and more like Jesus. We live more like how God wants us to live. That's growing in holiness. When we're asking that temptation be gotten rid of, when we're asking that we are delivered from it or through it, we're asking that we be made holy like Jesus. 
Jesus himself was tempted in the desert. We touched on that before. So it's not, that, it's not temptation that's bad. It's how we handle it, whether it beats us. So Jesus himself was tempted, yet he was delivered through it. He wasn't spared it. He was delivered through it. And if we want to be like Jesus, we're going to have to get used to the idea that we're going to be delivered through some temptations, through some tests. We're asking to be holy like Jesus. Now, we've said this before. Holiness is not what gives us eternal life, right? It's not what saves us or makes us worthy of heaven, right? We will never be holy enough for that. It's simply the outgrowth, the result of a heart that truly wants to follow and be like Jesus. So holiness matters. But holiness kind of has a bad rap for some people these days, right? For some of us, the word carries all positive connotations. Holiness, yes, let's do it. Let's move in that direction. Yay, holiness. But for many today, the word leaves kind of a bitter taste in their mouths. And why is that? Well, it's because of our own hypocrisy, <laughs> right? Pride, self-centeredness. A lot of people have seen too many Christians who claim to be holy, or at least holier than they are, who don't care about the poor, who don't care about justice, who are prideful, who don't care for the immigrant, who are really judgmental, and who just aren't loving. And they're thinking, if that's holiness... I don't want anything to do with it. But listen, we can start to change that perception. How do we do that? Holiness isn't earned like it's something we can be proud of. It's given like a gift that we can't take credit for. Look at a tree. We've got a huge tree in our side yard over here at the church. Um... But that height, that that strength, that grandeur came because a small seed broke. It cracked. Life came when the seed cracked and broke. A tree doesn't grow from a seed that is unbroken or uncracked. Otherwise, it just stays in the dirt like a pebble. A seed underground that doesn't break stays there and rots. A seed underground that breaks grows a tree that reaches higher than houses. And we don't think a tree is arrogant, right, because it's grown so high, because we know that's just what a growing tree does. And listen, humility breaks us. It cracks us and moves us to say, God, I need you. I cannot save myself from this temptation. I can't be good enough. I can't be smart enough to outwit this temptation. I can't be nice enough. I can't be strong enough to resist this temptation on my own. I need someone bigger than me. Only when that breaking happens can growth occur. Just like that tree, our hearts must break. We must crack the shell of our pride, our ego, and then from that broken and humble spirit comes the tree of holiness that can grow as we become more like Jesus, which again is what we're really praying for. 
See, pride cannot exist with holiness. The more holy we become, the more like Jesus we become, it is a direct result of our broken heart. We must be humble in order for that life to grow. Holiness can only grow where pride has died. Look at how Jesus was tempted in the desert. Again, we won't read the whole passage, but uh, you can if you want. It's found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. All of the temptations that Jesus faced were about self-glorification, right? Turn the stones to bread and eat uh, to provide for yourself. Throw yourself from the mountain to be delivered by angels. People would have seen those things and worshipped Jesus before it was his proper time. He was also tempted to worship his tempter. Right? The tempter said, hey, worship me, and I'll give you all the things in the world, all the kingdoms, all the riches, all that kind of stuff. They were all his, they were all to be given to him anyway. But he was like, hey, you worship me now, I'll give you these, these things now. But it's a selfish and short-sighted temptation for Jesus. But Jesus, who was probably the only human who ever existed to make, who, who, who deserved to make everything about himself, didn't in these moments. He put pride away to glorify God and in so doing displayed his holiness, his dedication to the glorification of God the Father and not himself in that moment. So, will people like us who are trying to grow in holiness and more like Jesus still mess up? Still give in to temptation and be open to a charge of hypocrisy? Yes. Absolutely we will. But it's when we approach all of this in humility that others who don't follow Jesus can, can see that. And, and they can see that it's an honest journey. <laughs> it makes no false claims of mastery. and doesn't deride them when they can't match up to our own standards. Because our pride can't exist with holiness. Holiness can only grow where pride has died. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Is there a temptation that clouds your life right now? Is there something in your life that you can't shake? Is there an attitude, a thought pattern, a behavior, something that is destructive and not what God wants for you and doesn't reflect the character of Jesus? Is there something that you need deliverance from? Well, remember how I was saying the holiness springs from the seed of humility. Nothing humbles us more than going to someone else with your struggle. If you want humility to grow, you've got to humble yourself. Now, I know from personal experience that admitting your struggles is humbling. But you can't have a tree of holiness grow in your life without the broken seed of a humble heart. So if there's something that you're struggling with, going to another person, talking about it with someone else, admitting your garbage, that's step number one. It's not the whole process. It's the first step of thousands. But you can't experience deliverance from evil until you've admitted that you need it. Now, before I close here, I want to give a word of encouragement Right, so all this talk about the difficulties of temptation and how they'll inevitably come can be a bit of a downer. <laughs> but I would be remiss if I didn't remind us this morning of the hope that we have in God. 
He is powerful and he is for us. We already mentioned that he can provide a way out in times when we're tempted. Uh, and I mentioned that humility and brokenness is key to helping us resist temptation. But the reason that's true, the reason why humility is the key to helping us resist temptation, is because then we're not relying on our imperfect power or will. We're relying on God's perfected power and will. Paul, uh, author of like, a huge amount of the New Testament, he reminds us of the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, we don't know what the thorn was specifically. He doesn't specify in any of his writings. It could have been a physical limitation. could have even been a temptation that he couldn't shake. We really don't know. But whatever it was, he says this, 2 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What? What are you even talking about? When I am weak, then I am strong. He's talking about God's grace being sufficient for him. When I'm weak, that's when God's perfected power can come through. His power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, that's when we can truly experience God's power. If you've tried resisting temptation and it has beaten you over and over again until you're ground into the dirt and you finally realize that you can't win, that's when you can finally release the reins of spiritual power over to God and you can watch true power at work. It took me a long time to learn that. And every day I got to learn it again. But if you've been brought low on several occasions and you're still grinding it out, trying to beat whatever temptation you're struggling with because you're strong enough, then I would suggest that maybe you haven't been brought low enough. When we are weak, that's when we see God's strength. His grace is sufficient for you. It is sufficient for me, meaning it is enough, more than enough. Holiness can only grow where pride has died. Temptations will come. They'll probably come an, after, after, here, an hour after hearing this. You know, like, they'll come. Don't go looking for them. They'll come. So how will you respond? Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lord, we know that temptations come. We know they come because you experience them, Lord. The perfect person, the perfect human, the perfect God-made man in Jesus experienced temptations. But Lord, we know that no temptation need ever prove inevitable. The destruction that comes with temptations, giving in to temptations, is never inevitable with you. We thank you for your grace that is sufficient for us. That we, when we have finally acknowledged our weakness before you, you can then say, all right, now I got this. You're just waiting for us to let go, Lord. You've got the power. You love us so much and you want to come through for us. Help us to let you. Thank you for loving us. Even when we give in to the temptations, that love does not end. It knows no end. And we thank you for that, Father. Your faithfulness, your grace, your love, your power, and your sufficiency. You are so good to us. Thank you for that, Father. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.